Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I hope you guys were able to enjoy the beautiful weather yesterday, maybe a little today. I know I've got my in-laws in town, so I think they're listening in from the backyard with Rachel. Um, so we'll have them come on in here a little bit later today. It's been a really good weekend with them. I know over the last several weeks here, we've been telling stories about um, the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers to give us a better sense of why so many Christians around the world, they access the Bible as a story of liberation. And so this morning, I want to tell you guys a story from Exodus that you might be a little bit more familiar with than the last couple that I've told. And this is a story about Miriam, who was the older sister of Moses. And so when we meet Miriam in this text, tells us a little bit about who she is. So we meet Miriam as a really young woman. She was probably like an early teenager. I was thinking like in the congregation, maybe like the age of, of like Josie or Nathan. Um, and we meet her in the story right after the story of Shifra and Pua. So I put their names there in the chat. We heard Shifra and Pua's story, I think it was three weeks ago. And we remember that these were the midwives who refused to follow Pharaoh's order, right? They refused to kill the little Hebrew baby boys. And when we talked about them, we imagined together how Shifra and Pua had gone to the other midwives and that they led them in resisting this order to kill the baby boys. And then we thought through how these women created this culture of faith among their people, right? They created this culture of faith that God would vindicate them, that God would protect their little boys, and that God would one day rescue them. And so it's in this context of this culture of faith that we meet Miriam. So Miriam grew up when Shifra and Pua and these other midwives were fighting back against Egypt. And so if she didn't know them personally, she almost certainly knew of them. And by the time that Miriam's younger brother, Moses, is born, the women in her community had already been hiding baby boys for some time. And we don't know how long that was. It could have been months. This may have gone on for years. But by the time that Moses enters into the story, the political situation had gotten a little bit worse. So Pharaoh had seen that the women weren't killing the boys like he had asked them to. And so he had ordered his own men to start taking baby boys and throwing them into the Nile River. And we can just only imagine the horror of that. And Ken kind of invited us to kind of sit with some of that. Like the text just sort of mentions things that are actually really horrific. And so when Miriam's baby brother Moses was three months old, their mom had to come up with a plan to keep him alive. And so we're going to read the beginning of this story. I'm going to cut and paste it here into the chat if you'd like to read along. This is Exodus 2 verses 1 through 4. And a man from the house of Levi, Moses' dad, went and took a Levite daughter. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And she saw that he was goodly, and she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took a wicker ark for him, and she caulked it with resin and pitch, and she placed the child in it, and placed it in the reeds by the banks of the Nile. And his sister, Miriam, stationed herself at a distance to see what would be done to him. So when he was three months old, Moses' mom made him a little boat and placed him in the river. And the first thing that we might notice is that the word for this boat is ark. And it's the same word that was used to describe Noah's giant ark. And that seems to be a deliberate choice of words to invoke this metaphor. Right? Because in the Noah story, the ark was 
what the salvation of the human race when the catastrophic flood was coming and people were drowning. And in the Moses story, Pharaoh is also drowning people, the baby boys in the Nile River, and that threatened the survival of the Hebrew people. And the ark with Moses in it could then be seen as the salvation of his people. I think that's the invitation for us to see that metaphor. And so with that detail, we're clued in that something really significant is happening, right? In this little ark lies the hope of salvation. And the second thing that we might notice in that text is that Miriam it says she stationed herself at a distance to see what would be done to her brother. Now, I would guess that Moses's mom didn't leave the riverbank, right? But she's the one who actually placed him in the river and surely she would wanna see what would happen also. But there's something about Miriam that we're invited to turn our attention toward, right? The storyteller says Moses's mom places the ark in the river and then it's like, but look at Miriam. She stationed herself at a distance, look over there. There's a Dutch scholar of Hebrew whose work I was reading over the last oh, couple of weeks or so, and she's done some really great work. I'm gonna put her name in there, Dr. Jopie Siebert Holmes. She's at the University of Amsterdam. And she did some really pivotal work on the words here that are used to describe what Miriam is doing. This like she stationed herself at a distance. So Siebert Holmes says that the Hebrew word that's, that's used there for at a distance has two meanings. I'm gonna copy and paste those as well. Oops, sorry, my, uh, my command function isn't working that well. I just got a V. So she says that this word has two meanings. It can mean to take one's stand or to stand one's ground, right? And this same word is used later in Exodus chapter 14 when Moses urges his people to stand firm, to take their station when they're pushed up against the Red Sea by Pharaoh's army. I'm going to go ahead and read that to you because I think it clues us in as to what's happening here. This is later on in the story. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Take your station and see the Lord's deliverance and what he'll do for you today. For as you see the Egyptians today, you shall not see them again for all time. The Lord shall do battle for you and you, you shall keep still. All right, so this take your station. It's like see the Lord's deliverance. Something's about to happen that you can't yet imagine. Right, so this kind of standing firm, it means like waiting in anticipation that God is going to act. And so Miriam is standing with this, this kind of faith-filled anticipation. She's standing her ground in hopes that God is going to come through for her baby brother. Right, she's ready. She's poised. She's like alert and watching and ready to spring. And I was trying to think about like when in my life that I have felt like that in a more literal sense. And what I was thinking about was Back in the day, in junior high, if you can believe it, I actually ran track for one year. And that's a little bit laughable because I'm fairly athletic, but I have never been a good runner. So I ran, I was a sprinter for one year, and one of my races was the 50-yard dash, in which I always came in a good solid fourth or fifth out of six. So I, I was not like a Ken Wilson of the, of the cross-country team, you know, I was like a, definitely below average. But I still remember that feeling of being on the blocks, you know, just waiting for that starting signal, like that feeling of like your nerves are going, your adrenaline's pumping, you're a little bit worried that you're going to start too late or you're going to start too early and get disqualified. It's this kind of moment that you're waiting on. And I think this gives us a picture of Miriam, who's just like waiting for God to give some little indication of intervention. 
All right, let's read on here the rest of the story. I'll paste it into the chat box. Exodus chapter 2, this is verses 5 to 10. And Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the Nile, her maidens walking along the Nile. And she saw the ark amidst the reeds, and she sent her slave girl and took it. And she opened it up and saw the child. And look, it was a lad weeping. And she pitied him, and she said, this is one of the children of the Hebrews. And his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and summon a nursing woman from the Hebrews that she may suckle the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, carry away this child and suckle him for me, and I myself will pay your wages. And the woman took the child and suckled him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became a son to her, and she called his name Moses, for from the water I drew him out. And so we notice that as soon as Moses is found, Miriam leaps into action, right? She steps right up to offer help. And if we stop and think about it, that was a super risky move for her to make. She's probably about 13 years old, a young girl of a slave people stepping up to offer help to Pharaoh's daughter. So Miriam is remembered by her people mostly as a prophet. And I think here we see her at this young age just step into that kind of role, right? She senses that God is about to act. And so she steps into the situation in faith, believing that God is at work here. We also notice that Pharaoh's daughter immediately observes that the baby was not an Egyptian baby, but it was a Hebrew baby, right? Her, his daughter says, this is one of the children of the Hebrews. So Dr. Renita Weems, who's a womanist Old Testament scholar, she points out that this really underscores the fact that Pharaoh's daughter knows that any protective action that she takes regarding this little boy baby is going to cross gender, class, and probably most ominously ethnic boundaries, right? So Pharaoh's daughter knows full well there's going to be consequences for any action that she takes, and yet she takes action anyway. And why? It's because she's moved by compassion. I'm going to copy that line back in there for you that we've already read. And she saw the ark amidst the reeds, and she sent her slave girl, and she took it, and she opened it up and saw the child, and look, it was a lad weeping, and she pitied him. That, that little phrase, and look, I think it beckons us as listeners of the story to come into the story, right? The storyteller saying, look, she opened the ark, and look. Dear listener, look, it's a baby weeping. Do you see him? There's a Jewish scholar named Nahum Sarna, and he says this is the only place in the Bible where we see a baby crying. And that crying is an important detail because it caused the princess to have compassion on him. Right? So her empathy led to her resistance. And so she decided to go against this edict of her father's and to help this Hebrew child because empathy leads to resistance. Right? It's, our, it's our ability to see the vulnerability of others and to be moved by it. And that's really key, which is why we listen so attentively to the stories of those on the underside of power. And that includes within the Hebrew scriptures as well, even though the entirety almost of the Hebrew scriptures are all written from the uh, point of view of people who are on the underside of power. We listen to those voices with a readiness to be moved. So Robert Alter, who's a, he's a Hebrew translator of scripture, the one that Ken's always raving about and 
you know, showing you the, the translation books. He points out that there are feminine birthing images that are interwoven into the words and the images of this story. And I had never really thought about this or seen this before, but I thought it added a beautiful layer to it. So he suggests that this image of Moses in the little ark is like a baby in the womb. And that the picture of the Nile is like the amniotic fluid that surrounds the womb. And then the reeds through which the ark reaches the princess is like the birthing canal. And then the princess is akin to a midwife, right? And we, we learned there at the end of the story that she called his name Moses for from the water I drew him out, right? She was sort of birthing him. And this suggests that something is being born here, right? Redemption, liberation, hope, right? All of these things are being birthed through the saving of Moses. And it's also a foreshadowing of a later story where Moses leads his people through the waters of the Red Sea, which is also called the Sea of Reeds. And that was a delivery also of its own nature, right? So God on occasion is likened to a midwife in the scriptures. And so we're invited here to see this midwifing God at work. And, you know, Ken spoke last week about how there are some strategic moments um, when there's like enough hope present in a group or in a culture for the pain of the most vulnerable and the oppressed to be heard. And we talked about how in the Moses story, it was the old Pharaoh had died. And so there was this cultural moment that allowed the cries and the shrieks of the oppressed to ring out. And Ken likened that moment to the cultural moment we're in now. You know, that maybe there's just enough hope that some changes could be made to some of these systemic injustice that we're hearing these increased cries and shrieks from the people who have been most burned by it. And this includes the Black Lives Matter um, protest, also some of the First Nations, um, some of the issues that have been brought to the forefront about how mistreated uh, the indigenous peoples have been, but also I think the poor in our country, especially with the coronavirus, it's people who are uninsured or people who are not making a living wage. These things have kind of come to the surface. And so the story of Miriam really spoke to me and that I think it suggests that we need to be ready, right? That we need to be poised in a sort of faith-filled anticipation that the spirit could do something significant here, right? That the, the time is ripe to have our eyes open to look for God at work among us. And I think our prayer can be, spirit, show us how we help you birth this liberation into being. Show us how we can help you birth this liberation into being. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I know I could use a little bit of an extra infusion of hope right now. Say so we're watching these COVID numbers go up and, you know, I've tried to limit my, my news reading to like 20 minutes in the morning so that I'm, I'm alert, but I'm not like completely um, enveloped in it, but I'm still I'm seeing like the volatile language used by our leader. And so just personally, I would say the low lying stress of all things pandemic is starting to wear on me. And I know it's wearing on some of you as well because there's a lot of unknowns in the next few months. But I also simultaneously recognize that God works in and through these hard times, right? I don't ever believe that God causes hard times to happen, right? I don't think God makes hard things happen to teach us lessons, but I do believe that God uses hard times to birth new wisdom and change. Right? This is, these are these spiritual moments when something new is coming into being. And it can feel confusing in the same way that giving birth is kind of dangerous and a little messy and a little confusing. 
but something is happening. And so my prayer for us has been that in these times of uncertainty, we're going to like hold on to the kind of hope that Miriam did, right? It feels something risky, but we're going to find ourselves creating this culture of faith and encouraging each other in it, right? This faith that God is here with us, faith that the spirit is at work shaking up systems, faith that the ways of living that are more life-giving are going to start coming forth and coming into being. And I think the short term, it could be a little bit difficult. And we don't have to like deny those hardships and we don't have to deny their effects or the feelings that come with it, but also God is here, right? And God is at work and God cares for us and God cares for you and for your specific situation. And we can be ready and we can be alert and just asking the spirit to show us where the spirit is at work in our families and our work situations and just bidding us a little bit closer. So for our time of reflection today, um, you know, when we're together, we often like to spend a couple, three minutes in silence or with guided meditation. I'm going to do a little shorter than that, but I thought that if you're in a place where you're able to take about a minute of silence, that I would invite you to reflect um, and pray and just identify and name some of the things that are maybe causing you some anxiety and stress right now. And maybe some of that is like kids going back to school or not going back to school. And then in that space of inviting the spirit and like naming those things, um, also invite the spirit to fill you with some hope and maybe speak some words of encouragement to you. It's not that this time isn't hard. It's not like God's going to minimize the pain, but just like, God, we could use some hope so that we can like go forward with some faith that you're at work. So let's take about a minute to do that. And then I'll close us out by just, by just praying as the spirit leads. Spirit, we confess all of those parts of us where we don't feel completely at peace. We name those anxieties before you. We name the stresses, the worries, the fears. But we also acknowledge that you are here and you are at work. And even if we can't see tomorrow, we can't see some of the next steps that are coming you're still at work and we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to be able to see where it is you're at work and where it is that we can partner with you and helping to bring some new wisdom and change into being Lord for the, the good 
of, of more humans, Lord, for the good of those who have been on the underside of power. Lord, we also ask that you would um, infuse us with hope and strength and peace and faith in our personal um, spheres. Lord, that in the spaces of our jobs, um, for those of us who are both working at home and working outside of the home, that you would give us a real a sense of you're at work. And we ask that your spirit would just calm our hearts and would speak fear not to us. We ask that your spirit would just blanket us, um, that we would just feel you like a warm comfort in those times when we're feeling um, the most afraid or the most anxious. And help us as a community, as a church, to create a culture of faith, Lord, where we can encourage each other knowing that you're at work. Because we do believe that you're at work, and we believe that there are mysterious things that we don't always understand or see. But I believe that you're a God who cares and that you're a God of power and that you're a God who is going to come through. And so I hold on to that hope that Miriam had. Lord, help us to be poised and ready and alert to see you at work and to be able to name it and to partner with you. We're excited to see what you're going to do. Lord, I ask that you would be with us all in this coming week as we're going to work and as we're interacting with our families. Give us wisdom. Um, give us wisdom to know like how to be both protective of ourselves, but also how to care for ourselves and those that we love in this. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.